Let's pray. Father, we know what glory means, and that is weight. And so we know, Lord, that we, we are to acknowledge that you have all the weight, that you carry all the influence, and it is our responsibility, Lord, to bow our knee to you. So, Lord, during this Christmas season, as we come to adore you, I pray that we will remember, Lord, that this child that was given to us was born the King of Glory. Today, Father, as we open your word, I pray, Lord, that we will understand more about his story so that we can understand clearly what our story is to be. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I spent some uh, time this week just reflecting on, as I hope you did, just reflecting on all the things that I have to be thankful for. And I've got a great family and I've, I've got a great church that I love to serve. But the, the thing that really... Um, captured my attention was the, the blessing that I have of being able to teach God's Word. I, I love to study His truth, and I love to tell you what God by His Spirit has, has taught me. And what I've found is that it's a, the Scripture is like a river of living water that never ends. There's no end to the guidance or wisdom that God pours out to us. It's literally inexhaustible. And so, as I thought, I concluded, well, I guess I'll always have something to say. And that should surprise none of you. God's word always gives us insight. And, and for me, that feels true 12 months out of the year. It, actually, it is true 12 months out of the year. I know that we're always going to have something to talk about, but I, I have to be honest, it only feels that way 11 months out of the year. And here's why. The challenging part is the Christmas season, right? The, at, at Christmas time, we, we all know the story. There, there are only a few chapters in the Bible that speak to the birth of Christ. Some of them anticipate the birth of Christ, and so they, they pronounce his coming hundreds of years before he ever got here. Some of them speak to the birth of Christ in hindsight, looking back and saying, here's the significance of the fact that this precious child was born on Christmas night. And then some of the scriptures just tell us about the miracle of the advent. And the reason that's challenging for a teacher is because most of you could tell that story with remarkable accuracy. So Christmas can be a challenge, it, not because I don't love it, but because the, the themes are all so well known, right? It's Jesus as the light of the world, Jesus as the hope of the world, Jesus bringing joy to the world, and Jesus bringing peace in the world. All of those beautiful truths are supremely important. 
And all of those things happened because Jesus stepped out of eternity and into time. But the truth is, coming up with, with a fresh take on a well-known story can be a challenge. So every year, weeks ahead of Christmas, I start racking my brain about how we're going to look at, at each facet of Christmas or which facet of Christmas we're going to look at so that we can understand more about God and ourselves as we dive into the miracle of the Advent. And so I'm just going to be honest with you, time was running out this year, and just a couple of weeks ago I was at the end of my rope, and I jumped up and I started going through my bookshelves just looking for any bit of inspiration. And I looked and I found a book that has this title, Who is This Man? It's a book by John Ortberg. It's a fabulous book, like all of his are. It, but it has nothing to do with Christmas. It has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. But that question, who is this man, stuck with me. And it actually morphed a bit from who is this man to who was this child. And I started trying to imagine what the people around him thought about him. What, what did the neighbors think about this child? Did, did they see him as the illegitimate child of a promiscuous teenager? What did, what did his grandparents think about him? I mean, this child turned their world upside down. And what really captured my imagination was this question. Who did he think he was? And how did he know? Who did Christ, who did Jesus, as a child, think he was? And how did he become aware of it? Now, we know that by the time Jesus turned 12, he had a good idea about who he was. Now, if, if you want to follow along in your Bibles today, we're going to be reading in the book of Matthew, but first I want to read this passage of scripture from Luke chapter 2. Luke is the third gospel, so it's the third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2 gives us insight at least about when Jesus certainly knew who he was. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, when he was 12, 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, this child was missing for three days. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, 
Uh, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He knew. By the age of 12, Jesus knew who his father was. But where did that information come from? How did he find out? As I processed that, I thought, well, there are really only three possibilities. Either God told him by his spirit, he just informed him who he was, or his parents told him who he was, or, and I think this is probably the right answer, it was some combination of the two. His parents explained to him who he was, and then God, through his Holy Spirit, confirmed it. And that never really occurred to me. But as I thought about it, I, I couldn't imagine any situation in which Joseph and Mary would have kept that, the story of his birth to themselves. As a matter of fact, the scripture says in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, that Mary, as the, the story of the advent unfolded, that Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. This was an amazing, true story. It was unfolding in real time for Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And so surely there came a time when Mary unwrapped those treasures and shared them with Jesus. And if you're a parent, you get that. Because those stories are precious to children. We understand the importance of teaching our children about who they are because we feel that that information will help them become all that God created them to be. We, we want them to know their strengths. We want them to know the gifts that they were created with. We want them to know about their families and their names and what those names mean. In our home, especially around birthdays, we end up talking about the circumstances of their birth. How each one of them came uniquely into the world. And we share those things because it helps our kids understand that they're special, that they are unique, and their unique stories prove it. And we share those stories because how would they know if we didn't tell them? It's a time-honored tradition as we celebrate birthdays to share and celebrate the stories of those children that have come into the world. And so here's the question that we're going to wrestle with and answer this Christmas season. What did Mary and Joseph tell Jesus, the birthday boy, as he grew up to help him understand who he was? Now, at the risk of losing you all right now, 
just as you just glaze over. I'm going to tell you that today we're going to look at the fact that Joseph and Mary shared with Jesus his genealogy. They did. They had to. I'm 100% sure that they took great pains to explain to Jesus where he belonged in the family tree because for the Jews, that information was everything. They had to know. Their, their significance and their identities were wrapped up in the fact that they were God's chosen people. Now, we, we talk about that all the time, right? We talk about the Jews are God's chosen people. But what in the world does that really mean? What is the significance of being a part of a nation that was chosen by God? Well, from a big-picture perspective, it meant that they were chosen to reveal to the world that God, the God in heaven, is the one true God. That was their responsibility. That the world was a dark place, and man cannot know about God unless he reveals himself. And so God chose the nation of Israel and said, you're my people. You're the ones who are going to reveal this truth. But how would they do it? They didn't have a Bible to read and they could share the Bible stories. What, what, what were they going to do? Well, this is what makes them unique. For the first time on earth, at the time of their selection, they were chosen to do things God's way. It required faith because no one had ever been that way before. But if they chose to live by faith, God promised that he would provide for them. He promised provision, protection, and salvation if they would, by faith, follow his way. And so what was his way? God's way required them to arrange things in a radically different way from every other nation on earth. They were to be governed differently. They were to manage their interaction with each other differently. And so at, at the heart of it, the, the Jewish people were divided into tribes. And the tribe that you were born into defined your role in the mission. Twelve tribes. And whatever tribe you were born into defined your role in the mission of revealing to the world who God was. So, for instance, when, when they moved into the promised land and it was being established, the family you came from or the tribe you were in determined where you lived in the promised land and what you did. So, if, if someone raised their hand and said, I, wanted to be a pre I want to be a priest, then what they had to do was produce a birth certificate that proved, I'm just kidding about the birth certificate. They had to produce proof that they were from the tribe of Levi because only the Levites could be priests. Then, after David became king, 
if anyone wanted to be king in Israel, they had to produce proof that they were from the tribe of Judah, which was David's tribe. Then they could legitimately have a claim to the throne. So according to God's plan, which fam the family you were born in or the tribe that you were a part of was of paramount importance in understanding who you were and what you were to do to reveal the truth of God to the world. So there is no doubt, literally no doubt, that Mary and Joseph took great pains to explain to Jesus who he was, where he fit into that picture. As a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament, when we turn to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, which, by the way, was written to the Jews so that Jews would believe that Jesus was the Messiah, Matthew doesn't start out with some engaging story that captures the imagination. He actually starts out with a genealogy. That's his introduction. Why? Because... He had to prove who Jesus was, where he came from. And if, if Jews were going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, it had to first be established that he was in the right family. So look at Matthew chapter 1, and we're just going to read verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Here's the way the New Testament, the good news of Jesus Christ, begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, before... Matthew goes through every branch of Jesus' family tree, and in, in particular, this family tree is the tree of Joseph, his father. Uh, in Luke, there's another one, and it's of his mom. So, uh, for Jesus to have a claim to the throne, to be the son of David, that claim would come through his father. Okay, for Jesus to have a blood claim to the throne, that had to come through his mother because, as we know, Jesus was born of a virgin. So Joseph was not Jesus' blood father, but through Joseph, he had a claim to the throne of David. But before looking at all the different branches on Jesus' family tree, Matthew just gives us the essence of it, the bottom line from the very start. This child, Jesus, is not just the son of Joseph the carpenter. He is actually the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, why does he start with the bottom line? Because only the son of David and only the son of Abraham could have been the Messiah. That's the only place it could come, he could come from. He had to be the son of Abraham, which means he was a Jew. And he had to be the son of David, which means he had a legitimate claim to the throne of Israel. His genealogy literally made Jesus a candidate. As the son of Abraham, he was at least a Jew. As the son of David, he was at least in the royal line. 
with a legitimate claim to the throne. And so with this summation, Matthew is at least providing on the surface that Jesus cannot be discounted. He's a candidate. He was a legitimate candidate to be the anointed one that had been awaited forever. See, this genealogy essentially meant that Jesus was the child of the covenant. Actually, the genealogy meant that Jesus was the child of two covenants. And a covenant, an Old Testament covenant, is a promise from God that says, here's what I'm going to do in the future. If you choose faith and you choose to follow me, do it my way, here's what I'm going to do in the future. There was a covenant that God made with David. That's why he says, Jesus the Messiah is the son of David, and there was a different covenant that God made with Abraham. And both of those covenants defined who Jesus was and what he was to do, if indeed he was the Messiah. His mission would be defined by those covenants. Now, we're going to look at them very briefly in the order that Matthew presents them. First, he says that Jesus the Messiah was the son of David. You guys, do you guys know who David was? This means yes, this means no. You know who David was? He was the first king of Israel. Second, good. I'm glad you're awake. I was concerned about that today. He was the second king of Israel. And David, the scripture says, was a man after God's own heart. And he was revered as if he was perfect. But we know that David was far from perfect. But by God's grace, David became the man through whom God would most significantly bless the nation of Israel, his chosen people. David ushered in what's known as the golden age of Israel. Between his reign and the reign of his son Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived, Israel became the most powerful nation on earth. And it was a clear sign that God was the one true God. Remember, that was the purpose. According to the way God blessed the Israelites, the whole world would know that God was the one true God. Now, David was a man of incredible vision. And he understood that Israel's success was God's glory. That's what he was always fighting for, Israel's success, because he knew that was God's glory. And so David wanted to ensure that God would be glorified through Israel long after he was dead and gone. So he had a great vision for what he could do to make that happen. And one day, the scripture tells us, he was sitting around in his palace talking to the prophet Nathan. And he gave him just a glimpse of what he wanted to do. And this is what he said. He said, Nathan, you know, it doesn't seem right that I live in this beautiful palace while God lives in a tent. See, the presence of God was wrapped up in the Ark of the Covenant, right? And so at that point in time, the Ark of the Covenant resided in a tent in Jerusalem. David looked around and said, here I am, this fabulous palace, 
and God's living in a tent. That just doesn't seem right. How does that bring glory to God? And so he told Nathan, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build him a fabulous temple that far exceeds any palace or temple in the known world. And at first Nathan said, that, how did we not think of that? What a fabulous idea. And he told him to go for it. And so David in his mind starts making plans. But Nathan went home that night. And during the night, God came to Nathan and said, hey, not so fast. I've got a different plan. And this is what God told Nathan. He said, I am indeed going to make David's name great. And I'm going to continue to give him rest from all of his enemies. And there's one more thing I'm going to do. And this is what he told Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. Nathan reporting to David, he said, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now remember, David is wanting to establish a house for God. God said, I'll take care of me. I'm going to establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, did you get that? Verse 13 again. He is the one, that's Solomon, who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom. David and Solomon's kingdom is going to be established forever. So first God said to David that he and Solomon would have a great name. It's true. He also said that Solomon was going to build him a temple, and he did. But most significantly, what God was saying to David is that one of his sons would be crowned king and would sit on the throne as king forever. Did you pick up on that? One of David's sons would be crowned king and sit on the throne forever. And so if you know anything about the history of the Jews... They struggled. Sometimes they would obey God and sometimes they wouldn't. And God, for whatever reason, they chose to do things their way instead of his way. And God was always trying to redirect them. So they went through a season where they were in exile. And in exile, they thought the promises to Abraham and to David, they would never come to pass. But all along... God would send a prophet who said, no, 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 I'm the great covenant-keeping God. I'm fully intending to keep my covenant. You're going to have to wait. And so for hundreds of years, faithful Jews waited, looking for the Messiah. All of them 
looking for the one who would restore the glory of God's kingdom, looking for the one who would be the son of David. And so with this genealogy at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, he's saying, now is the moment. Now is the time. The birth of Jesus is the advent of the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one that's going to establish God's kingdom forever. And ultimately, by the way, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will bring crowns and lay them at his feet. He is the king. And so from Mary and Joseph's perspective, Jesus had to know that he was of the royal line of David. And he knew. He understood it. It was so significant, as a matter of fact, to Jesus that when you fast forward to the end of his ministry and he's being put on trial, everybody is trying to get him to renounce that fact. Are you truly the king of the Jews? Everybody wants Jesus to turn his back on the fact of his life, and he wouldn't do it. He maintained the truth that he was to be the king of the Jews, and it killed him. He was the Messiah, the son of David the son of the covenant that God made to David, that a king would sit on the throne forever. But there was another covenant that Jesus was born under. Matthew 1.1 says that he was the son of David and the son of Abraham, which means that Jesus was the son of the covenant that God made to Abraham. Now, if the covenant of David was linked to the throne of Israel, the covenant to Abraham linked him, listen very closely, this is so important, it linked him to God's visions for the salvation of the whole world. Being the son of Abraham meant that Jesus was linked to God's vision to save the world. Now, if you want to read about this covenant with me, it's in Genesis chapter 12. This is where God announces to Abraham that he is going to be, become Father Abraham. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household, to a land I will show you. Now, here's why this is significant. In that time, people believed that gods were territorial. And so, where you lived, <clears throat> excuse me, where you lived determined how you worship. And then if you left your land and your people who were worshiping that god and crossed over the border to another land, then you would come under the Lordship of another God. Now, that should help us understand why God keeps saying that his people are to say he's the one true God. Because everywhere they go, there's a, there's a God in Clearwater and Dunedin and Palm Harbor and Largo. There's a God everywhere. And all of them have uh, different things they look for from their worshipers. 
And so when God called Abram, he's like, leave all of that behind. And I'm going to send you to a new land. A land, by the way, you have never seen. It is a land I will show you. So what was required of Abram to follow God's lead was radical faith. First of all, he had never heard from God. Right? He, he was a moon worshiper, among other things. And so for God to come to him and say, hey, I'm the one true God, required radical faith. He could have thought, he, you know, he had a bad dinner and bad dreams. But this was God, and he said, follow me. I'm going to take you to a land that I promise is going to be better than anything you could hope or imagine. And then God says this in verse 2, I'll make you into a great nation. And Abraham, Abram at the time knew exactly what that meant. He was going to have kids and lots of them. But you know the problem at this time? His wife couldn't have children. Like 75 years old at this time. And God's saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just like David, God said, I'm going to make your name great. How is he going to make Abraham's name great and David's name great? Could it be through the Messiah? But this covenant that he made wasn't just restricted to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you, right? And that's what we're all looking for. Right? We, we want God's blessings. We want God to take care of us. We want his provision, his protection, and his salvation. We'll take some prosperity along the way in easy days. But notice that, that that was just the beginning, and it was much less significant than what he would say next. I'm going to bless you, but more importantly, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. See, it's better, it's better to be a blessing than to receive a blessing. It leads to a life of significance. He who blesses others will himself be blessed. It starts with us choosing to be a blessing for others. And Abram knew at this time when God called him that he was calling him to step into a life of great mystery. But it would be a life of long-term reward because he would be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. Now think about it. What was the blessing? I will bless you, and you will bless them, or I'll bless them through you. What's the blessing? 
Blessings have to do with being in the favor of God. It's about being under his protection, living in his provision, and enjoying his salvation. So when this covenant was made, it wasn't just a covenant where God picked one guy and said, I'm going to bless you and, and your whole family after you. It wasn't just about the blood family of Israel, although they were certainly blessed. The covenant said that the blessing that God intended was for the whole world, and it would flow through Abraham and his seed, one of them. Specifically, one of Abraham's offspring would be the source of blessing for all. One of them. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Paul made this observation about this covenant with Abraham in Galatians 3.8. It says, Scripture, now just think about this. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham saying all nations will be blessed through you it was the announcement of the gospel, the gospel which is the good news that God brings salvation to the whole world was announced to Abraham looking forward to Jesus. Everyone has access to this blessing that God intended for all because on one holy silent night, God, in the form of a baby, stepped out of eternity and into time. The stars were shining brightly that night, but the reality is the light came on for all. A baby was born, son of Abraham, son of the covenant, the Messiah. It was Jesus who would bring good news, the gospel that God so loved the whole world that he would send his only begotten son, son of David, son of Abraham, to save all, to let all come under the favor of God. And that's exactly what happened. That birthday boy, was King Jesus, son of David. And he was Savior, son of Abraham. And because Jesus knew who he was, he knew what he was supposed to do, and he did it. He is hope for the hopeless. He is light in the darkness. He is joy for our journey. And he is peace to all mankind. He knew his place. He understood his mission. And he lived it. And 
his death and his resurrection opens that family tree to us. See, we can become children of the covenant because Jesus was the son of David and the son of Abraham. And just as Abram took his place by faith and he chose to follow God, we enter the blessing of God the same way. This whole story of Jesus and his advent is the story of grace, God's grace, amazing grace. And we take our spot in the story. We become children of God by faith. It's God's grace accessed by faith. So here's the question. Have you stepped in to the endless blessings of God through the way that God provided by faith in Jesus Christ? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father. No man enjoys the blessing of God except by me. Why? Because I'm the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the son of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful that from the beginning, you understood our need and you had a plan we know Lord that your word teaches us that because of sin we're separated from you we are children of a broken covenant but we celebrate the fact Lord that your son, son of David, son of Abraham, stepped out of heaven and into time to make a way to restore that covenant, giving us salvation. We're thankful that Jesus knew his role and did his part to bring us to you. We're thankful for the blessings that are available. Now, I just, I just want to, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to challenge you a minute to think about where you are in the, the rivers of God's blessing. You have to be a part of the family. to receive his salvation. And that requires faith in Jesus. 
Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? The covenant with Abraham required faith. Faith that God would provide a way. And he provided that way through Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you opened your heart to Christ? Place your faith in him as the son of God sent to take away the sin of the world. But the covenant with Abraham wasn't the only one. There was a covenant with David too. And it was about kingship. It was about King Jesus. It was about lordship. So for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, if you want to enter the rich life that comes from acknowledging his lordship, then that requires obedience. It requires renouncing your claim. I renounce my claim to the throne of my life. And I ask Jesus to take the lead. I think probably most of us in this room are children of God by faith in Jesus. And I think it would also be true that we struggle to follow King Jesus. Father, Lord, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to defer to your kingship, to make Jesus Lord, so that we can enjoy the fruit of your kingdom and that we can help others understand that Jesus is Lord and he is the way to salvation. We bless your name, Lord. We are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to give us hope, peace, and joy. May we enjoy those treasures as we follow you. It's in the strong name of Jesus I pray.